Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. Let's think about what it means to seek fulfillment. Like many of the thoughtful people that I've compared notes with over the years, I long ago concluded that happiness is not in itself a life goal with lasting value. Happiness is a state of mind that reflects contentment with one's current circumstances. It's a feeling that occurs when I realize that my needs are met and that I'm not experiencing any significant threats at present. Happiness is a contented, I've got mine feeling. In thinking about my own happiest times, I've come to realize that those times have come to me when I have felt myself as part of something bigger than just me. That something has included relationships with other vibrant, interesting people, contributing my skills and talents to solving a problem that is negatively affecting others, seeing myself as one small but precious element in a broad and wondrous universe, or perhaps contributing some original thoughts toward the solution of a scientific puzzle. In essence, I've been at my happiest when I have expanded beyond myself to touch other people and things around me. That expansive feeling is what we label fulfillment. I believe that fulfillment is the basis for what humanistic psychologist Abraham Maslow called self-actualization. In Maslow's view, humans are motivated by a hierarchy of needs that range from simple but essential physical needs at the bottom, such as food and breathing, through the need for safety, belonging or relationships, and self-esteem or love of self, and through to self-actualization at the top. Lower-level needs must be satisfied before higher-level needs can be addressed. Thus, not everyone may be compelled toward self-actualization. For those who are, self-actualization becomes a process of discovering and mobilizing the best of who we are. It's a potentially lifelong process, not a stable state. In applying these ideas to two open doors, I believe that a personal quest for fulfillment plays out in two arenas, that of the body and that of the mind, heart, or emotions, soul, that is, our total presence in the world. A two open doors lifestyle focuses on the creation and the nurturing of deep emotional connections with other people and with the world. Loving someone or something entails opening and giving ourselves to that someone or something. Love motivates our caring and generosity or giving of ourselves. Our deep emotional connections embody the intimacy with which we relate to our beloved. In the past, I have focused on the value of deep emotional connections while downplaying or de-emphasizing the importance of embodied connection. I've now come to believe that physical connection is as important as emotional connection in the quest for personal fulfillment. We humans are embodied beings we are wired for pleasure and for the satisfaction of our physical needs. In Western cultures, this physical reality is often positioned as our baser or animal side, but that makes it no less real and no less important. Perhaps much of the neuroticism in our society is attributable to our attempts to disown this essential part of who we are. In ancient Greece, the philosopher Epicurus founded a school whose adherents sought to avoid pain and anxiety, to use the senses as a way to know the world, and to enrich life through friendships. The Epicureans embraced the body, in contrast with the ethereal concepts of the Platonic worldview. 
I think the Epicureans offer us the valuable revelation that our physical side offers us a valuable path toward fulfillment, a path that is complementary to that of emotional connection. From my perspective as a sexologist, I see pleasure as a human birthright. This includes not only sex, but also sensuality or touch, and the enjoyment offered by our other senses, such as watching a gorgeous sunset or listening to a transporting piece of music. In his wonderful book, The Soul of Sex, Thomas More makes some observations that crystallize what deep and encompassing human connection aspires to. As he says, As I interpret it, the Epicurean approach is an active way of life where we do things that give pleasure. We cultivate friendship, we write letters, we invite family and friends into our homes, we play music and paint, we make good food, and we contribute to society. In Epicurean sex, we cultivate a sensuous life. We go to the trouble of making sex and art. We give pleasure to our partner. We live from love and affection. And most of all, in great tranquility and in the absence of ambition, we enjoy ordinary nights, mornings, and days of lovemaking. What a beautiful citation. One of my dear friends has noted that pleasurable and sensual activities are a reliable path to happiness and to valued enduring memories. Sensuality and sex are thus important elements in an Epicurean lifestyle. Pleasure is a gift that lovers can give one another. Such sharing can build bridges of connection between them. Another friend sees an Epicurean approach to life as inherently optimistic. Sensuality is a path that allows us to live life more fully. As she poetically suggests, an Epicurean approach lets us experience life as a close tango, as a series of ten-minute love affairs, each of which is different and wonderful. Our sensual and sexual sharing with those we love is a unique and irreplaceable way for us to grow closer to them and to share our own essence with them. These can be the times when we are most fully alive and joyful. Embracing the world in an Epicurean way is also an excellent way to live a prayerful life, even if no formal prayer is involved in the usual religious sense. With such an orientation, we live mindfully, present in the moment, and with gratitude for the many wonderful people and things in our life. Such a life is about soulful, sensual connection. Taken together, human connection and pleasure provide a firm foundation for seeking fulfillment and thus bliss. Relationships pull us out of a possibly excessive focus on ourselves and into a better understanding of who we are and what we have to offer to others. Similarly, engaging with our senses allows us to focus outward in order to engage with the wonderful world in which we live. In the best of our sensory experiences, our sexuality and our emotional intimacy come together to create a transcendent union between people. I see such rare and precious experiences as an example of what Maslow had in mind with his notion of self-actualization. The personal conclusion that I've reached from the preceding thoughts is that my own path toward fulfillment needs to include both deep connection with others and embracing my physicality as a path to both pleasure and connection. Since we humans have more in common than that that separates us, perhaps this is a path worthy of consideration by all of us as well. Let's turn now to thinking a bit about spirituality and relationship. What is spirituality? And what role, if any, does it play in our deep human connections? 
This is a question that I've wrestled with as long as I can remember. I believe that spirituality is intimately connected with the centrally important notion of what it is to be deeply connected with another human being. Despite this importance, though, the answer to this question remains subtle and elusive. Early in my life, I was completely enfolded by the religiosity in which I was raised. In my early years, I found much meaning and solace in the rituals and beliefs that were instilled in me as a framework for meaningful life. In time, I parted ways with the many prescriptive details put forward by my faith as, quote, the only proper way to live. Still, casting off my particular religious tenets did not alter my faith in a few basic principles for living in a way that I felt was proper for me. These include my belief in the inherent dignity, wholeness, and potential for good in every person. My belief that it is our relationships not our possessions or accomplishments, that give richness and meaning to our lives. The belief that our deep connections with other people are manifested in the feelings of love that we feel for them, and the belief that a love that is not brought to life through tangible acts of caring and affection is a love that is sterile and stillborn. I can perhaps more clearly say what I believe that spirituality is not, rather than what it is. I don't think that it's a descriptor for a world that exists apart from and somehow beyond our own physical and mental reality. I don't see the world of spirit as populated by ethereal, insubstantial beings, such as angels and demons. And I don't think that it describes a reality that is eternal and infinite beyond our comprehension. It seems to me that spirit is a mysterious something that unites each individual with other people, and with the entire world in which we are embedded and of which we are a part. Through spirit, we are all connected. What we do and what we are affects others and affects our world. Perhaps spirit is a kind of resonance that we create with one another. In that view, spirit seems akin to the idea of energy, though not necessarily of the kind that's described by physics. The energy that flows between us conveys how we feel about one another and how we see each other. It's a subtle but very real thing. Perhaps, with time, we'll discover that there is indeed some sort of force field through which we affect one another. For me, though, it is sufficient to know that we are somehow connected and that we affect one another, for better or for worse. That's enough to convince me that my actions and attitudes matter, and that I thus need to guide those as consciously and caringly as I can. In our culture, it's easy to dismiss spirit and spirituality as somehow less valid than objective, rational thought. Spirituality is that woo-woo stuff that only the naive or simple-minded believe in. I certainly don't see it that way. I see spirituality as one way to experience the world, no less real than a science-based understanding. We rational Westerners are suspicious of feelings, and spirituality seems to exist in the realm of feelings. Spirituality may not be an objectively verifiable framework for explaining the world. Certainly, religions which I believe are motivated by spirituality, can develop some pretty fanciful explanations for how nature and society work. That doesn't mean, though, that spirituality isn't a valuable guide for our actions. If we believe that we humans are connected, then spirituality can and should shape how we treat one another. By living a life that reflects a belief that each of us matters, is worthy of our caring, and is connected with us, we are likely to live a life that reflects kindness, tolerance, generosity, and a realization of our shared humanity. Such a perspective makes us good people, 
the sort of person that others appreciate and even love. Being received by others in this way gives our life meaning and brings us deep personal satisfaction. As humans, living a meaningful life is a big part of what makes life worth living. To come full circle, spirituality provides a foundation for a meaningful life, which includes deep human connections. That's something worth pursuing. So now let's look a little more directly at deep connection itself. We human beings are intensely social creatures. We draw sustenance from social interchanges and from the immediacy and reality of touch and intimacy. Without such physical and social connection, we find it difficult or impossible to prosper and grow. Modern life beckons to us with ample opportunities to buy the latest shiny thing, and with an unceasing tumult of news and invitations to do or experience something new, and with a bombardment of messages clamoring for our attention. What's missing for many of us, though, is something that is essential to us as the social creatures that we humans are, that is, the chances to connect with one another in loving and truly satisfying ways. Such connections aren't about making money or becoming important or popular. They're about validating and supporting one another. When it comes to such opportunities, modern life is often a desert. Many people yearn for a way to stay connected to one another in deep and significant ways. Our excessive focus on individualism and consumerism has left many feeling isolated and depersonalized. Low-level depression, loneliness, and feelings of being unappreciated are epidemic. I suggest that there's a better way. Each of us have the choice of inviting people into our lives, and in so doing, of sharing our richness with others, even as we enjoy what others have to offer us. Each of us is a thread in the beautiful tapestry of community. By acknowledging and living in accord with our interdependence, we can reduce the loneliness and isolation that can undermine our well-being. We all want love in our life. On some level, we recognize that's what we truly need in order to thrive. What does it mean to love, though? How do we get there? We'll explore these and other meaningful questions in future episodes of Two Open Doors. If you'd like to learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors website at twoopendoors.com and the Two Open Doors Facebook group. Finally, I'd like to invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors. <laughs>